Teresa Waddington, a warm welcome as he comes up. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn, um, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, please. As Natalie said, my name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's. My privilege to be speaking today. Um, and uh, Santino uh, restarted our preach series in Ephesians up until um, sort of the beginning, I think it was of March. We've been working through um, the letter to the Ephesians. We'd done Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. We then had a four week break because of things like Easter and Half Marathon Sunday and. Mother's Day and various different things like that. Well, we've now restarted and we're going to be over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing Ephesians 4, um, 5 and 6. And we're continuing the main theme of the letter, which is unity. It's, 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 it's talking about the unity we now have with God as a people. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we're no, we're no longer enemies of God, but we've been brought close to him. Those who were far off have been brought close and we're now friends and we are children of God. We are at unity with God, but we're also at unity with one another. Doesn't matter what our background is, doesn't matter about our nationality or our education, um, doesn't matter about our political persuasions or preferences, it doesn't matter if you're going to vote for in or out in the uh, a referendum on Europe, we're now one new people in God. And uh, the whole letter to the Ephesians is about maintaining that unity. It's about maintaining that unity with God and maintaining that unity um, with one another. And the first three chapters in general are laying out the doctrine. They're telling us what's happened now that we're Christians. It's absolutely brilliant. You, You may wonder, how on earth has Paul spent three whole chapters Just communicating about what has happened to us now we are Christians. Well, he has. And I reckon from reading it, he could have spent an awful lot longer. It's absolutely amazing, this truth. And he he does it for a number of reasons. He does it because, firstly, often we don't remember things when we hear them just once, do we? If you're anything like me, you you can hear something once. And it may go in a little bit, but but, but give it a few weeks or months and definitely it's, it's gone out again. So we need to hear it time after time after time. We need to be reminded of it. But actually the gospel is so absolutely incredible. You can look at it from a thousand different directions and not exhaust its wonder and the amazing things that God has done for us. And that's what Paul does in the letter to the Ephesians. He looks at the gospel of Jesus Christ in different ways and gets the church at Ephesus just to wonder and glory in the goodness and grace of God to us. So that's what's generally happening in the first three chapters. But in the second three chapters, four, five, and six, Paul starts to work out the implications of this glorious salvation that we've got. He says, if this is true, what does it mean for my life? Not just just church on Sunday, because, you know, we can all put a bit of a facade on for Sundays. But what does it mean for my life Monday through to Saturday? What is the impact of this wonderful gospel on my life. And that's really where we're going to be landing this morning. We're going to start to unpack some of the implications of this incredible gospel. So you ready for that? Good. 
I, I get the sense this morning that we're a little bit sleepy, if I'm totally honest. Now, I don't know if it's just sleepy, we've all had too many late nights, or, or, or whether there's something else going on. But would you be willing just to stand up? When I was much younger than this and had a lot less grey hairs than I do now, I always used to get people to stand up before I spoke. So I could, I could pray for you and you, could, you can pray for yourselves. You ready to pray for yourself? So what I want you to do is I'm going to pray, but I want you to pray the best prayer you can that God will meet with you in the preach. Yeah? If you put your hand up for healing, I also just want you to pray that God will heal you during the preach. Because God is as much here in the preaching of the word as he was when Sam was praying for you earlier, okay? So let's raise our voices together, and I'd love to be able to hear your prayers. If you're on the back row, pray in a way that I can hear, okay? You don't look persuaded by that, okay? So Tamara, you seem to be PA operator there at the back, yeah? Can you pray in a way that I can hear your prayers? Excellent, go for it, Tamara. So let's pray together. Lord God, we want to... Lord God, for those who put their hands up um, and were looking for a healing touch from you this morning, would you bring healing? Would you bring healing in Jesus' name, I ask? And I pray, Lord God, would you enable me to communicate effectively today? I ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Come and have your way, we pray. Come and have your way, we ask. We ask for that in your precious name. Lord, we want to meet with you this morning in the preaching of the word. Lord, I ask you that you would anoint me and enable me to communicate effectively and with grace. And I ask you, it would be a bit like lights turning on for some people this morning. People would, we would understand afresh what you've done for us and the implications of it, I ask. Would our hearts be prepared? Would our minds be active? Would you anoint me, we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Why don't we take our seats? We're going to look this morning at um, going from an old life to a new life in God. And we're going to take Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 17, and we're going to take it through to the end of the chapter, which is verse 32. And I'm going to look at this section or this, this passage under three headings. I'm going to look at it under old life, then we're going to look at the new life, and then we're going to look at characteristics of this new life that we have um, in God. So let's start picking it up by firstly looking at this old life. Because although I said that 4, 5 and 6 is mainly the practical um, outworking of this wonderful gospel salvation that we've got, Paul can't help himself going back into doctrine again and just communicating the situation we were in before we came to know Christ. He, he, it's nearly like he can't help himself. He has to go back. Although he's done three chapters of it, even here in the middle of chapter 4, he goes back and he looks at it again. So if you've got your Bibles, picking it up in chapter 4, verse 17, this is what it says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Remember, this is what people, this Paul is describing people before they were Christians, before they were converted. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Strong, isn't it? 
Paul doesn't pull any punches when he describes what the church at Ephesus was like before they became to know God. Now, before we dive into what is a very strong description, I just want to highlight something to you um, that may be helpful to you. In verse 17, it says this. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must no longer walk as you used to before you became a Christian. Walking out the Christian life is a metaphor or an illustration that Paul often uses. If you were with us a few weeks ago on the Half Marathon Sunday, and you may have heard Andrew Bunt speak, he spoke about running a race. I thought he spoke about it really, really well. Well, here, Paul is using another illustration. He's talking about walking. And he says the Christian life, or life in general, is a bit like going for a really long walk. It's one of continual forward momentum. It's something that we need to do every day if we're going to make progress. That's, that's how walking is supposed to work. It's repetitive, isn't it? Do you mean you just, some people even count their steps, don't they? Do you mean they, they like to know how many steps they've done? I've done 50 million steps today and I'm still going strong. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's repetitive. But if we keep going, we can cover an awful lot of ground. Now, look, I've, I've just got to mention this. I've got to get it out in the open. I wasn't here last week because I, because I was running the Paris Marathon. And I did do rather well, if I do say so myself. The problem was, when I showed Ethan, my third son, because you can actually, if you want to, by the way, you can watch me run the Parathon Marathon. If you go onto the ASICS website, you can see little videos of me running. You know, just Ethan, when he saw them, though, was a little disappointed. He said, Dad, you're not running very fast. Now, I personally thought I did quite well. His, his, his judgment on my performance was somewhat less glowing. And it's true, actually, I wasn't running very fast. Um, but it's amazing how much ground you can cover not running very fast if you keep doing it for four hours. You can actually cover 26 miles. And the Christian life is a little bit like that. That you don't have to be very fast at running. Or even that fast at walking. You just need to keep doing it. And that's why Paul uses this illustration for the Christian life. He says, walk out the Christian life. Don't walk like you used to, because if you walk like you used to, you'll be walking in the wrong direction. You'll be losing ground. But if you walk, if you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, if you keep following the commands of God in your life, if you keep putting to practice the disciplines that, that we know are right, it's amazing how much progress we can make. You may not notice it in, in, on, on the back of a day. You may not notice it on the back of a week. You may not even notice it on the back of six weeks. But i tell you one thing. If you keep doing it for a few years, you will be amazed at the ground you cover in your Christian life if you just keep walking it out in step with the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, we become disheartened and we're tempted to give up. And the reality of it is, we're not really walking our Christian life out. We were hoping that God would put us on an escalator. We were hoping, you know, in the airport, you get those moving platforms. I'm hoping I'll just be able to stand on one of those and God's going to take me to glory like that and I'm going to make a whole load of progress. The reality of it is, the Christian life sometimes is like that. But more often than not, it's about us walking out our Christian life. 
It's about loving each other. It's about spending time in prayer. It's about having our minds renewed. We'll touch on that in a minute as we read the word of God. It's about meeting with the saints and being encouraged and strengthened. It's just, and I know it doesn't sound very sexy, but it's just about plodding out the Christian life at one level, but empowered by the Holy Spirit in relationship with God as children of God. And I just want to encourage you because a lot of the second half of Ephesians is stuff you know but it may not be stuff you're doing. You need to walk this stuff out. You need to walk it out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and just when you feel like giving up, you'd walk it out on Friday and Saturday as well. That's how the Christian life, and Paul uses this word walk, and we're going to notice it as we go through. But then, then he starts to highlight three things with us before we were Christians that were wrong. The first thing is he said, we had wrong thinking. There was a futility, a futility of their minds. They were darkened in their understanding. There was an ignorance that was in them. And that's nothing to do with intelligence. It's not about whether you're clever or, or, or whether you're not. But it's about a blindness that you have if you do not have Christ. You are blinded by sin and you're blinded by the devil. That's why there's a futility to our thinking before we know Christ. It's really important that we we realise that our minds are so important. Paul focuses on our minds here. I mean, I love, I love encounters with God. I am hungry to meet with him. I really do. I want to meet with God. But I mustn't throw my mind out. The Bible is here so I can understand things about God. That I can understand who I am. It's so important. So firstly, before you came to Christ, you had wrong thinking. The second thing before you came to Christ was you were alienated from God. You were separated from him. It doesn't matter whether you were a good person or a bad person in your own moral terms. That is not the important thing. It says every single person that is born here on earth is born alienated from God. You are separated We are born as sinners, those who are separated from God. We're in trouble. And it doesn't matter how many good works we do, we cannot earn our way back to God. The barrier is too big. Our efforts are too small. We need an intervention from God. So we have wrong thinking. We are alienated from God. And it also says in this passage that we are callous, that our hearts have been hardened. The reality is for most of us, Without, well, actually for all of us, without the intervention of God, we don't really care about God. We love living our own way. We don't, we don't want a master. We don't want a king. I'm king. And without the grace and the mercy of God invading, that's exactly how we would stay. Our hearts are hardened. And this is a fairly damning description that Paul brings for those without Christ. It's wonderful that, that we're going to be running an alpha. And San's going to do really, really well explaining things about the Christian message and who we are. But in the end, without an intervention of God, people cannot be saved. It is a work of his grace. There's a darkness of mind leading to a deadness of soul, leading to a recklessness of life. That's what Paul says here. 
a darkness of mind leading to a deadness of soul, leading to a recklessness of life. I think it's in Romans, Paul says, without hope and without God in the world. That's the situation we find ourselves in without the saving work of Jesus Christ. Paul wants to highlight how bad the situation is for us because he wants to highlight how good it is for us now. If we want to see the depths of God's grace and his mercy and his kindness to us, we need to realize how far he has taken us from. You do not become a Christian by self-improvement. If... If you don't know Jesus here as your Lord and Saviour, I'm going to talk about a whole load of different sort of moral instructions towards the end of my preach. They're not for you. They're for those who have received Christ as their Lord and Saviour. They're for those who have been born again. We have nothing to say to you if you don't know Christ. Your moral endeavours will not save you. It is only his grace and his mercy. Let's read about it now in the next set of verses, verses 20 to 24. I I love this first phrase. So we've looked at old life, now we're going to look at new life. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Isn't that wonderful? When he's describing the start of that change that took place in our lives, so I jump up and down a bit sometimes, I get excited. When, 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 when it, Paul starts to explain this amazing change, you know, we, 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 we had wrong thinking, we had hard hearts, we did wrong actions, reckless living, we, we, we could not save ourselves, but what happened? Oh, wow, I started to understand Jesus. It, it wasn't that Paul describes, actually, you started to understand some incredible way out truth, or you started to understand church, or, or, or I don't know. No, you started to That's not how you came to know Jesus. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on a new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I don't think it's any mistake that Paul starts by saying those words, but that is not the way you learn Christ. The only way we come to God is through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. We have an encounter with Jesus Christ. In Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9, Paul says this, indeed I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing Jesus, I count it all as a loss that I may know him, that I may be found in him. Not not some righteousness or good works that I do myself, but no, that which I find in Christ. Everything, I count it as rubbish. It's a strong word he uses there. Everything, whatever, my intelligence, my good works, my good looks, my ability to run marathons, whatever it might be, I count it as rubbish, why that I may know Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying here. And then he goes on to explain what has happened to us now that we are Christians. And he describes it in verses 22 and 24. Now, now if you're reading it in the ESV, 
it's, the language is slightly confusing, if I'm honest. But let me explain it to you. He says this, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And verse 24, And to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Here, Paul refers to something that has been put off and something that has been put on. Now, I am told that in the Greek, this is a once and forever thing that has already happened. It isn't something that you need to do this morning. If you are a Christian, you have put off your old self. It happened to you the moment you came to know Christ. Your old self has gone. You, it's as though you took it off. This old self that is corrupted by sinful desires has been taken off. It's off. It has gone. I am now a Christian and my old self has been taken off, it has gone. In Romans 6, Paul describes it, but he uses it in a different way. He says, your old self is dead. You are dead to sin, your old self has died, and you have been clothed with something new. You have been born again, and you have the life of Jesus Christ running through your DNA. You have been joined to the vine, And you are now connected with him. The old self has gone. You now have a new nature. This is what has happened to us. You may not have realized how dramatic the impact was the day you came to know Jesus Christ, but that is what happened. You were born again. That old self was put off once and forever. It's gone. It is dead. You have now been raised to life and Jesus Christ is now within you to live a new life. That old life you used to live, you know that one described in verses 17 to 19? The ignorance, the hardness of heart, the alienation from God, that's dead. That was your old nature and you used to live in accordance with your old nature. You used to live out who you are. But now you have been born again. Now you've had a fresh start in Jesus Christ. Not because you've earned your way there, but because Jesus was hung on a cross. You were included in him, in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And you have been raised to new life. So now as Christians, we've got an obligation. Not to what is dead, that's gone. You've got an obligation to live out a new life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. And just as walking can be hard work at times. You know, you're walking uphill. That can be hard work. Sometimes walking out the Christian life can be hard work. It isn't that we're on a nice escalator always just flying along with no effort. Sometimes it can feel like that. But we live out a new life because we have been joined to Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. Something is gone. Something is dead. It's wonderful news. This is what he says in Romans 6 verses 6 and 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. So you used to be ruled by sin, but you're not any longer. You're ruled by Jesus Christ. It's wonderful news. You're no longer ruled by sin. That's dead. That was part of who you used to be. You're not that anymore. Dead. Dead. Something died. But now you've been raised to new life. 
Because anyone who has died has been freed from the power of sin. And that's what happened to you. You are included in Jesus Christ. You may not feel that's the case, but it is true. And are we ruled by our feelings or are we ruled by what the Word of God says? We, that's right. And if your feelings don't line up with what the Bible says, you have got a responsibility to change the way you think so it lines up with Scripture. However strong your feelings may be, however strong your experience may be, you are dead to sin. It's what the Word of God, you have been joined with Christ, you have new life, now live in accordance with it. It's very, very simple. We pray, we worship, we have fellowship with other believers. We push in and get filled with the Holy Spirit. We have power encounters. We have our minds renewed. We do all of these things as we look to walk out our Christian life. I'm now going to walk out in the identity of who I am. I am a saint. I'm going to live that way. Not, not by sheer willpower because, I mean, I've got the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in me. So he's equipped me and empowered me to live this way for him. Now, I pray you have some wonderful, dramatic, awesome, incredible encounters with God that blow you forward in his, in his purposes. But more often than not, it's what you're doing tomorrow and the day after that will make the big difference. Your old life is dead. You have new life in God. But it's interesting how Paul puts it. That's verses 22, 24. He puts verse 23 in the middle. Now remember, I said verses 22 and 24, the putting off and the putting on, that, that's a once and forever act that has happened. Verse 23 is present and ongoing. That basically means it is forever applicable to you while you're here on earth. That we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Who is it that does the renewing? You or God? I'm I'm with Reg on that one. You renew your minds by the word of God. You renew them. Now, okay, you could say it is God because the Holy Spirit will work within the word of God and, and bring illumination to us. But we are told to work this out. Let me just ask you a quick question as I finish this, this point. Do you know the radical change that has taken place in your life? You have, you have a responsibility to find out about it, to savour the work of Jesus Christ. You do. Paul says, I count everything as a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. He says, I count it all as rubbish that I may know Jesus better. Do you know the radical change that's occurred at your conversion? And secondly, how are you renewing your mind? How are you taking responsibility to renew your mind? We run an excellent course within the church called Living Free. And the first half of the course is all about telling us what has happened to us now that we're Christians. And you may sit there saying, I know, I know, I know. But I I find the more I hear, the more I need to hear. I've been a Christian for many years. 
and I still need to renew my mind. I realised in preparing this, over the last 18 months, that has been one of my biggest priorities. I hadn't sort of lined it up for this preach, but I realised that over the last 18 months, I've been continually battling to renew my mind by the Word of God. I think I've shared historically that I, I struggle with gaining significance from my position as a church leader rather than the fact that I am in Jesus Christ and he loves me. Now, I can sit there and wait for God to change how I think or I can take the word of God, which is a gift from him, and I can battle with it. And how I've done that is by writing down a whole load of verses that tell me and communicate that I am God's son, that he loves me, that my significance isn't based upon my position. It doesn't matter whether the church goes well or badly, although I try with all my might for it to go well. But my identity doesn't come from that. My identity comes from the fact I'm a son and that I'm found in him. But that doesn't come easy. You might think you're a church elder. It should do. Well, it doesn't. I battle. And I battle with the word of God and different things. Look, three different pieces of paper, different verses, different things where I've just, and I, the reason I do them, I carry them around in my pocket and then after a rubbish Tuesday morning meeting where the whole church staff team are about to kill each other, I go back into my office and I start reading out and I say, oh, thank you Jesus, it's not dependent on how well the staff meetings go. It's dependent on the fact you love me and you are for me and your grace is sufficient. And it's the same for you, you're the same as me, aren't you? I've now got a little black book. Not, not you know, not, not, not the little black book thing. You know, I've got my own version of a little black book. What's in there is things God said to me, Bible verses that I am living with and I am fighting with, why I'm renewing my mind. How am I renewing my mind? Like this. Let me ask you a question, church. How actively... Are you renewing your mind? Or are you really just so caught up in the doldrums that you're just sort of saying, or not even that, you're just passive, saying, well, at some point God's going to put me on a heavenly escalator and everything will be all right. Well, he will when you die, but I recommend you don't wait that long. We're called forward momentum to walk out our Christian lives. And then basically... Paul lists out a whole load of characteristics that describe this new life that we now have in Jesus Christ. And he basically says, take stuff off and put things on. He says, take things off that are going to hinder you from glorifying God and following him and put things on that are going to help you to do it. See, when I ran the marathon last week, I didn't put on a big overcoat and big wader boots, you know, and, and, and a big backpack to carry round. I put on running trainers and shorts and a T-shirt and I took different things with me that would help me fuel my journey. You take off civilian clothes. You take off stuff that is going to hinder you. You put on things that are going to help you run the race to walk out this life that God has got. And so what Paul does, I think there's about six different things. He says, take off lying and put on authenticity. That's what he says in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Take off lying. What is going to hinder you in glorifying God 
And everything he's called you to do and put on authenticity. Put on the truth. Tell the truth. And sometimes it's not that we outright lie, but sometimes it's we just don't have the conversations with people we should have. Do you know what I mean? We, we know we need to have a conversation with someone because they've either caused us pain or difficulty or just because you know you need to help them and you back away from it out of fear or a bit of laziness or whatever that might be. You're not truly authentic. You meet them at church, give them a big hug, tell them everything is fine. But in reality, there's probably just a few things you've just got to lovingly say to them. Put away falsehood and speak the truth in love. That's the first thing he says. Second, he says, take off selfish anger. There is a righteous anger. We're supposed to be angry at sin and unrighteousness. We're supposed to love righteousness. Take, but he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. You see, if, whether it's righteous anger or unrighteous anger, if you don't deal with it in the right way, it gives a foothold for the devil. It gives space for bitterness to grow and in the end, an unforgiveness and in the end, it shapes us. It grabs hold of us and we cannot let it go. And in the end, it will affect your whole outlook on life. It's like gangrene. It will just spread all the way from the infected place and it will affect your whole outlook on life. But we're told how we've got to deal with it. In love. As we talk to one another. This is... This is helping us to run for the glory of God. He says, take off stealing and put on generosity. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, now, I don't know, maybe some of you do break into people's houses. I don't know. But there's a load of different ways you steal whether it's fiddling your tax return, doing your expenses, knocking off work early, not paying your, 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 the right wages to your staff. There's a whole load of different ways to steal. Paul just says, put that away. That's not who we are now. But actually work hard with your hands, not just to provide for yourself, but actually that you might be generous with others. Wow. Paul says, actually, I want you to work hard to be generous with other people. So you can give to the church. I want to encourage you to be generous in giving to King's Church. But actually, beyond that, giving to other people within the community, other people in need. That's why we work hard. These are, the thing, these, these are clothes that are befitting who we now are, this new life that we've got. He says, take off corrupting talk. And put on encouragement. Let no corrupting talk come out your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, if you, if you speak in a corrupting way, basically you're complaining and moaning about people and situations and all sorts of different things. It's like washing your car in seawater. Every time you have a conversation like that, it's putting the old sponge in that bucket of seawater and you rub it all over the car and you don't see it to start with. But over time, you start to see the corrosive effect that it has as you speak negatively and destructively. And all of us, every single one of us here, I can be absolutely guarantee all of us can be guilty of that at some point. But Paul says not to talk that way but to have our talk full of grace for those who hear and have our talk building one another up. 
Then he goes on in verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You may think, Why? how on earth do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Doing all the things I've just been talking about. Holy Spirit's a person, he lives within us. He's holy. He hates corrupting talk, he hates stealing. Let me remind myself of the others. He hates selfish anger. He doesn't like lying. They just cause blockages to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Just stop the flow of the Spirit. Streams of living water flowing within us and we chuck big boulders of unresolved anger and bitterness in the way and we wonder why God doesn't move through our lives. We need to repent, turn away. And then just at the end, just as we're finishing it up, and if I can invite the band up, that would be brilliant. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with malice. It's like a pack of wolves. One of them turns up, and you can be sure some of the others will turn up as well. But he says, instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This isn't some moral trying, trying harder. It's, it's being who we are. We've got a new identity in God. And Paul's just describing what this identity looks like. It's kindness. It's being compassionate. It's it's pouring out forgiveness, God's grace on one another. That's what this life looks like. And what we're going to do with the 10 minutes that we've got left is we're going to stand. I think Ali's going to lead us and Joe are going to lead us in a song. But it's just an opportunity. We're going to have bread and wine together. And it's just an opportunity to repent. If, if God's brought things to mind and I'm thinking, actually, I've got, it's not in line with my identity. It's not in line with who I am. I want to take this stuff off. That I might run for him and I'm going to put some other stuff on. I'm going to make a decision this morning. I'm going to forgive so-and-so who's really upset me. Do they deserve it? No. If you, you, know, you may feel they're selfish and undeserving, but, but the Bible doesn't give us room to not forgive people in that situation. It says... We're to love our enemies. He calls us for a radical life of difference. One that shines so differently from those around. And we can do it because I've been united with Jesus Christ. And so have you. Why don't we stand on our feet? Just while um, the band play something quiet in the background just want to give you just a few moments to do business with God so what I mean by that is just an opportunity for you to talk with God and why don't you just say like David said he said something along the lines of Lord search my heart and know me see if there is any offensive way within me and lead me in the truth everlasting and this isn't just about living a slightly better life it's about Living a life where we take the kingdom of God to impact those communities around us. It's about living a life full of the Holy Spirit, making a difference where we are. And if we're caught up with some of this old stuff that that is more at home with what is now dead, we need to take it off. We need to repent of it and put on these new things.
Lord, I thank you that when we come to you and we, we, we repent, Lord God, I thank you, you're faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from all guilt, to bring us close to you that we might know you afresh. And Lord, we, we all confess the stuff, we just, the stuff there that we need to get right. Thank you, we come to you, a good father who will never turn us away. You are never unrighteously angry. You are abounding in love and faithfulness. You are kind and generous to us. I thank you, Lord, that as we come to you, as we remember the sacrifice of your son on the cross, his blood spilt, his body broken, that we might be forgiven. Lord, as we remember those things, we thank you that you will never turn us away as we come to you. But you draw us in, you accept us, and you love us. Church, if I can uh, invite you, um, the band are going to sing a song, but it's just an opportunity for you to go take the bread and wine. You can do it on your own, or if you want to do it with someone close to you, family or friend or whatever, take it together. Just an opportunity to pray, do business with God, and then we'll come back together and we'll probably sing one song at the end.